I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Thorough Talk. I'm Thorough Bailey. And first of all, I hope that all of you out there are doing well and, and trying your best to uh, survive in this this new normal. You know, obviously, the COVID-19 coronavirus, uh, it doesn't play. We know what's happening here in our own country and in other countries. It's affecting us all. And so I hope all of you are taking care of yourselves and, uh, and, and getting educated as well. But today, I'm, I'm really excited because I've got a, our guest today is the sweet voice, TV voice of the Utah Jazz telecast for AT&T Sports. This man has had a stellar career in television broadcasting, you name it, NCAA basketball, NFL college football, uh, broadcasting on national CBS and ESPN. Uh, and I have the distinct privilege of riding shotgun with him on a few select games for the last couple of years as we broadcast uh, the Utah Jazz games on AT&T Sportsnet. Let's welcome in my good friend and colleague, Craig Bowlerjack. Craig, how are you, buddy? Hey, Thurl. Uh, appreciate the kind words, my friend. Uh, yeah, we've had some good. We, we had a pretty smooth run up until two weeks ago, and then the, <laughs> that road got a little bumpy uh, in yes, Oklahoma City, which is amazing. Uh, an amazing, um, I guess, experience is the best way I can put it. And you and I shared those uh, <clears throat> those interesting hours in quarantine and and a few hours beyond. But you know, I, I echo your your thoughts. Uh, I hope everyone understands the severity of what's going on i was just and maybe i'm i read the news too much and i and everyone probably does but i think at this time in our lives we have to be very um, uh, aware i think that's a key word of what actually is happening on a daily basis and to heed the warnings of just trying as you said the new norm is to just back off um separate and just let this thing hopefully peak and start to uh, the you know the curves start to balance out, and that's what I'm hoping for. Uh, it's it's a difficult time, T. And I tell you, my family's had to deal with it, and I know yours as well. And all of us are really. I think the word the, the thing is we're all in this together. That's and right. I don't want I don't want people to think oh I don't overplay that. No, no, we really are. And I I, I hope people take take notice that uh, we have to do our part. You're absolutely right, Bowler. And um, listen, I the other day I was on. Uh, 
a podcast with uh, our other colleague David Locke on Locked On Sports, and and he brought up a, a very significant remembrance for me, and I think you remember this too. I took a picture on March 11th, uh, right before we were about to broadcast the OKC game. I took a picture at half court. It was yeah, you, me, our radio guys, Ron Boone and David Locke, and our other colleague, uh, Kristen Kinney. And I took a selfie. I had the longest automatic selfie stick, which was my arm, right? You, and, yes. and I think I sent you that picture, right? Yo, I got it. Absolutely. I, I, that picture, T, is for me going to impact the rest of my life. Yeah. And that was, that was a moment. Your, your selfie stick, right, that, that long arm of yours captured all of us. And you know what's bizarre? That is, we rarely get a picture of the five. That's it's right. It's usually KK who says, Hey, Bowler, hey, T, come here. But on that that night, how odd was that? Yeah, it was really odd um, because from your perspective, uh, and, and I'll add a little bit of mine, but let's let's go back to that day because it's, it's obviously a significant day, um, in a way historic for us and, and a lot of others. But and, and I'm trying to decide, Bowler, whether I was – whether to use the word fortunate to be with you or unfortunate to be with you toward that time. But I, I, I swing more towards fortunate because, you know, it's a night I'll never forget. You and I were sitting at the broadcast desk um, after the anthem had played, I believe. And, and um, take me back to what you remember about that specific night. Well, we, we had known that, we had, I think we have to go back to about three hours before game time because it was we loaded up on the bus. Quinn, in his very uh, delicate but also commanding way, said, look, guys, here's what's going on. Uh, you know, Rudy, we knew, was not feeling well, but he said he's being tested. And right. so we kind of perked our ears up. And going onto the bus, we knew this maybe could be a very, uh, uh, you know, interesting night. Never did I think it would have the impact not only in this country but worldwide. And as we got to the arena, things were pretty calm. I went to interview Quinn, and for the first time, I kept my six-foot six distance. And he said, Rudy's going to be out tonight. And that's kind of what we went with. Uh, and then we did our pregame show. We talked about Tony Bradley, who was going to be in the starting lineup tonight for just the third time in his young career. Yep. And it was going to be quite a test uh, against a, a Thunder team that, at the time, was playing really good basketball. So we went about just kind of our – we get into. I hope people understand. It's like like you did thorough in basketball, and, and what I used to do in football is that I, I kind of get into a build up mode of saying, "Okay, game time, game time, That's game right. time." Now we play, yep. and it's, it's kind of a, a slow thirty to thirty minute build up once we hit pregame, and everything went smooth. Uh, then we, as you said, set at the table, set up national anthem. We got through our lineups. Uh, we went to Kristen for her. Taco Bell takes on what to look for. And then all of a sudden, uh, there was a man to my left and to our left who came out and on the floor. And he kind of caught my attention. There was a huddle uh, on the Oklahoma City side, not far from us. And then I saw the officials gather with several individuals, not the Jazz at this moment, but it was mostly the officials in, in Oklahoma City. And I think we started talking about uh, maybe a clock malfunction, yeah. but I looked up and saw the 24 second and the 12 minute, you know, clock working. I thought maybe the floor, uh, but then came word that the, you know, that the game had been 
um, uh, they were waiting for the approval from the NBA to start this game. And that and word right there, and that word didn't come. It it just came, kind of through us, right? It wasn't it wasn't yes. something that was announced. No, they had not announced it yet. I think Jeremy Bruner and the truck said something that the league uh, was just uh, going to wait to put this game on hold until they approved the, the tip off. And then right then, you and I started kind of going through that ad lib process that yeah. you have to do to make sure the fans understand what's going on. And then I knew things were going to be maybe more serious when Quinn was involved, when and Billy Donovan were brought over for a conversation. I think we took a commercial break, uh, and then I had someone hand me a, a, a note uh, on a piece of paper, handwritten, kind of scribbled that, yes, indeed, the league was reviewing uh, some things, and this game, uh, for the moment, was going to be put on hold until their approval. Then we took a break, and we came back. As we call it in the business, we tap dance. Because you know what? We're living this with fans. It's live. That's right. There's no, That's right. There's no script. And we, and we don't even discussed. know. No. No, we had not heard uh, anything from from the Jazz at this particular point, but yet in my mind, I'm sure in yours, thorough, you kind of knew something serious was about to be announced. And um, then, as we said, okay, uh, they started to entertain the fans. I have to give Oklahoma City a lot of credit, too. There was never any sense of panic amongst, you know, 15,000, 17,000 fans. And I had three buddies that you met that had come down from Kansas City We'd had a college friend who had passed away, and we were going to make our way north to Wichita later that night or early the next morning and for his celebration of life, which sadly I did not get to attend. But you met them, and they looked at me, and I just kind of gave them a, like, a little shrug, like, you know, hang on. And then we went to commercial break again saying we'll be back with this game once the league uh, gives us the approval to tip. And would I've ever thought we'd never be back on the air that night? And that's when things changed, and we were asked almost immediately via a text to go back to the Jazz locker room. I looked at my three buddies. You and I uh, walked away, and little did we know that for the next six-plus hours we'd be escorted back to a room, and that's where we would stay until Quinn Snyder told us the news. And that was a, a pretty shocking moment, uh, to be honest, Thurl. It was a shocking moment. I want to go back to something you said very important about um, Oklahoma City, the folks over there. I remember looking up in the stands after it was announced that the game was postponed, and it it was a sense of calm. It was uh, people were just filing out, you know, as if the game was over, which obviously it was. But you know, when when you notice, you know what happens after a, a real game is played and and it's over, people start filing. I didn't see any difference in the way they left the arena, and maybe they didn't have all the information, but I think that for the most part people knew what was going on and just with a sense of calm just started fouling out. And uh, it, it was kind of a, as I look back on it, kind of amazing to watch the calmness of that, mm-hmm. of that night. I would agree because we've seen arenas before where, you know, uh, the intensity of the moment or a player leaving the floor, things become angry or uh, uneasy. Yeah. In this particular case, uh, I think people, honestly, and I've been doing a lot of soul searching about just people, thorough, their, their, their hearts, their souls, um, who, they, who they are. I think overall everyone has a real sense of, 
of uh, understanding what's what's happening. A lot of the negativity happens for just a few that but tend to to break the confines of some of the rules that need to be you know need to be I guess lived by right now. I understand freedoms and all those things, but this is a uncharted territory. That's but right. I, I do think you're right that the fans there knew through this couple of days prior to this night that something was up in this in this world and sports were on a teetering point. And I, I really believe that they all sensed uh, what was going on or what was about to happen. And that's why they left in such a very uh, calm, calm manner with no booze, no, no, no. That's right. There was no. Like, hey guys, I paid my ticket. I won a ball game. I, I think they all felt what we were feeling too, and I applaud them for that. And then, of course, uh, the next six hours, you know, we hit that that room with a little refrigerator with some water. Luckily, a restroom was attached and a couple of TVs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then a couple of TVs. And then Quinn came in, and I think you said this, and I'll echo it as well. A very cool, calm approach trying to keep uh, the eight of us informed while the team, I think people have to understand the team was separated from us in the locker room. We were just off to the side around the hallway uh, and uh, in a room, I think for uh, maybe a concert VIP to set, maybe wait for them to maybe come on stage. I don't know what it was, but it was a nice room with a television and a bathroom off to the side. Um, not real big, but it accommodated us. But then Quinn came in and told us the news that Rudy had tested positive. And I think for a good couple of seconds, we all stood there just kind of like, wow, this is real. And that's when I really thought to myself, we could be in this room for quite a while, or we could be in this arena actually for quite a while, T. Um, And then the hours ticked on and we, we entertained ourselves and we were, watching television, and then three hours later, another update, and then later on around 12.30 in the morning, we marched ourselves into the locker room to be tested, and that was quite an experience, too. Yes, it was. It was. Uh, Let me go back to, you mentioned when Coach Quinn Snyder came into the room, and I've said this before, that I've always had the utmost respect for him. Um, Wasn't sure that respect factor could go any higher until he walked into that room, because Bowler, you know, he had a team to really attend to, you mm-hmm, know. He, he and 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 I think his first priority, obviously, would be himself and his family. But when he walked in that room, I felt like here's a Quinn Snyder that he's making us a part of that team. He didn't have to come yes. in there himself. He could have sent one of his assistants or somebody else to kind of deliver Absolutely. what was going on. But Coach Quinn Snyder walked into those doors and put everybody at ease, and and I was just. Uh, I was kind of blown away at that moment at the fact that he would come in there and, and treat all of us. Um, I wasn't really surprised, but I was really blown away by the effect yeah. of it on all of us. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I felt exactly the same way. Uh, he took control of the situation. And, you know, a lot of people shy away, T, as you know, from those type of situations. And those who lead uh, sometimes are the rare breed. And I think I, as you said, you, you respected him before, but you gain even more gratitude on how people uh, treat one another in times of crisis. And he just came in and took control, and I was glad to see it. I, I texted him later that night. I think I said, you know, Q, thanks for the cool, calm, and uh, calm leadership. 
And, you know, that's the only words I wanted to say, but I, I just, what well, I had to say it. I mean, you know, that's how you communicate now through, you know, text and all that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it was, it was, uh, and I think the group that we were with, uh, you know, I kind of looked around the room and, you know, some are more fearful than others. Others become quiet. Others got on the phone to talk to family, uh, text to friends. Everybody, I learned a lot that night about the human nature, too. Everyone handles things differently. That's right. And that was another interesting lesson for me. Because as, as you think that we all stand tall and, and you know, can take a, an arrow to the chest, in reality, some do and some don't. And I think I had to respect a, a lot of people who needed their space, uh, who, you know, ventured to the bathroom or maybe cracked the door to get a fresh breath there. Just how you handle it, it was quite an interesting sociological experiment experience, I should say, as well. Hey, Bola, we're going to take a break here, but I want to come back and talk to you about the significance of that night going forward, um, not just for our sport, but for our country. We'll be right back. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Thorough Talk. We're honored to have uh, Craig Bolajak, the TV voice of the Utah Jazz and AT&T Sports, uh, my colleague. And Bola, we were talking about uh, being isolated in that room, and you were mentioning about the different personalities and how we handle things. I want to focus on you for a minute. And I know the, the first instinct, as I noticed for all of us, was to get on our phones and, and, and call our loved ones. Um, but tell me a little bit more about what you were able to do, uh, in kind of preparing Sharon, your wife for, for what was going on and other people involved, but also, uh, what you noticed in that room as we were just kind of in a waiting game. Yeah. Um, you know, before we left town, Sharon and I had a talk about maybe this would be the last week of basketball because I was concerned with the talk that separation was uh was key paramount so they had talked the league had already kind of prepared us right thorough that maybe we'd be doing games with no no fans right. in the arenas and so i wasn't sure if you know we'd be calling games um, in a room somewhere away from the away from the arena i thought this may be the last road trip we have until this thing flattens out 
so I think that she kind of knew, obviously, uh, following uh, the league as much as she does with, you know, and all the talks that we all have. And so I don't know if she was totally shocked mm-hmm. when I told her that we were off the floor. But I think like most Americans at the time didn't realize the impact that we were having in that city of, of Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, that the league was going to shut down and the rest of the world would follow soon after. And I think that's the one thing that she was the next day, I think, became more aware of just how important that actual moment was. Of course, concern, how long are you going to be in there was the first question everybody asked us. Um, And I really didn't know. And that's the tough thing to tell family, friends, loved ones, look, I'm here, but I'm good. That's all they want to hear is that you're good. And then keep me updated, keep me updated. So uh, I think we all did that uh, as best we could. Um, you know, some were more upset than others. Others were, I think, as I observed, thorough. We, we all just kind of were there for each other. Was it quiet at times? Yes. Did we try to crack a joke or two? Yes. Did we listen to TV a lot? Yes. And most of it all was centered around the Utah Jazz and Rudy Gobert. Uh, and we, but at that time, we had no idea that Donovan, would be tested positive until the next morning. But um, it was it was one where I kind of, uh, I'm not sure how you went, because I'd like to hear how you felt, but I, I kind of went into a very, um, I was a very aware, I could tell uh, my senses were high, and I was just very aware of my surroundings more than usual. You know, you're, you're on alert. Yeah. And I think that's just what the human body, the human mind does in times of, of, I guess, the unknown or a crisis. And yeah. that's kind of what I felt like we were in at that time. You're absolutely right. And what I noticed, Bowler, was that at that time, the more we were in that room isolated, the more I think our own personalities started to 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 show. I mean, if you're already known to be uh, a patient person or you know, someone who cares for others first, those things start to come out in those moments, right? And I saw a lot of that in that room. I also saw, um, you know, several of the folks in that room who are workhorses, right? I mean, they they got in their work mode. They were on the computer. They were doing things. They were taking notes or whatever they were doing. Uh, And specifically, a guy like David Locke, who we know, um, just loves to work. And I think that's, that's the mode that kind of kicked in for him. Um, so it was really interesting to kind of sit back from a distance, whatever distance that was in that room, and kind of notice people. They brought us food, out, obviously, to, to nourish us and keep us going until we heard more. But there's no question about that night. It really became the tipping point if you will, of things that were to follow, not just in the NBA world, but all across sports, um, just all across the country on on events and how we ended up getting to the point we are today. Did you kind of did you kind of foresee this a little bit after that we got through that incident? You know, that's a great question. I think once I realized that we were going to be marched in for a, a test, uh, thorough, and then when we went through that test, which, you know, again, 
I, I, the one thing that people have asked me, why did you guys get tested and how come you got tested so quickly? And I said, I wish I had an answer for you. But I think the best thing I can say is that we were kind of a pod of people that had been around a lot of other individuals. And I hope people understand, too, when you travel with 48, 50-some-odd people, including the beat writers who were involved in this night as well, uh, that the fear at that particular time, Thurl, I think was – was very we were they I think the whole league and the whole country was at a high level because yeah. it was kind of ground zero. And I try to tell people, look, I I don't want to be say that we were special, but you've got an NBA team that is away from home with no way to get back to Salt Lake, and the fact that there could be multiple positives. That's right. And so I I, I hope people understand that there was care because it was so new. And I think that's why I want people to understand that the the, the people of, of the of Oklahoma, of Oklahoma City, and the health providers there and the governor were very concerned. Maybe we had a pod of positives, and that's why I think that they went to such extremes to find out what our health status was. And thankfully, we all except Donovan were positive, and we've been very careful over the last almost two weeks now of self quarantining and taking temperatures and all those things because I really take it serious. And the last thing I want to do is is to to be a to to, to infect another individual. Well, it, it was. I, I'm sorry, Bob. It was a significant moment with the virus. I mean, it, it had never kind of entered that, for lack of a better word, of that arena on that significance of a scale. Um, so the importance of it, not like you said, not that we were more important than anybody else, but it was kind of a groundbreaking, obviously a groundbreaking mm-hmm. tipping point moment where there were thousands of people involved in, in one area, really. And so I understand exactly what you're saying because, you know, you, you listen to the news and, and people are saying, well, you know, these NBA players shouldn't be tested before anybody else. And and I agree with that in, in, in some sense. But at that particular time, that had never occurred no. in that place. You know, and Thurl, I think, too, you as a former you know high-level athlete at the college and pro ranks, here's the other thing I think that really was a very a tipping point. And scary was that for the first time, I think, in the public mind that – Athletes are another level of human uh, being, and you know what I'm talking about, of, of strength, yeah. durability, health. And all of a sudden, that that whole persona is cracked. If it could uh, happen to them? A, a test, yeah, if it could happen to them, it must could happen to me. And I think that's really the lesson here learned, too, is that we're still all vulnerable as humans. Now, here we're getting deep, but I think it's a, a moment to get deep because as athletes, we've all had our turns at different levels, but at that high level, all, I, I sometimes get caught up in that, too. Like, ah, uh, you know, they'll heal faster than most of us. Yeah. They won't get sick, and if they have a cold, it's for a day. But in reality, I think that hit me, too, is that, this is going to change everything because a high-level performer who is taken care of at the highest of levels, and we know what Rudy does. He is very in tune to his body, 
And for that to happen to him, I think the lesson that night was and beyond it can happen to anybody. And that that's the lesson I learned. No question about it. And I really believe, and I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word for it, because I think before all of this, in line with what you just said, there are a lot of us, including me, that were thinking, you know, this is at a distance for me. It started, you know, in Asia and, you know, Italy's going through it in Europe. Um, and you kind of distance yourself from it as if, you know, it's not going to affect you, right? Mm-hmm. So so maybe at some level you don't take it as serious as you should until when? Until it hits home. Right. Exactly. And now we know people uh, that we work with. I know friends. Uh, I have a colleague in, uh, at Kansas State University who's in the hospital as we speak. Uh, he just returned from a uh, study abroad with a, with several, I think, a couple dozen students and his family, and he's now uh, in the hospital. He's okay, doing well, but in ICU. And those are things that I thought, man, never, never would I know somebody who would have this. Yeah. But it's now starting to percolate, not just from the elderly, but also into the 50s and 40s and 30s, and I even hear a young teenage girl um, is is suffering. Now, some of these people may have pre-existing conditions, thorough, but maybe some don't. And I think there's the guessing part of it is, you know, you just have to do the right thing right now. And as much as it hurts in the way that we live our lives with so much freedoms and we move as we like, uh, this is a real test of um, how people, I think, can handle themselves maybe alone and maybe a chance to get to know themselves or even their family a little bit better, all for a reason, right? I mean, I don't know. There's all, everyone's going to come out of this with a different lesson learned and maybe change themselves for the better. Well, Uh, I hope that, I hope that's the case. I agree. And you know, every year, um, I, for the past five years, I've scheduled a trip over to Italy where I played basketball for a few years. I have a lot of friends over there. And as we all know they're experiencing the most deaths from from this virus, and so I reach out, whether it's through uh, Skype or or uh, some other way of of communicating with them. I reach out to them to find out how they're doing over there, and it's just amazing to see how that whole country has basically shut down, you know, and everybody by law in a sense, has to stay at home. And, and that culture over there, if you, you know you spent some time over there, that culture is a culture where, you know, you have a family that, you know, the kids get older, they don't move out. They just kind of move in and, and build another <laughs> wing onto the house. So it's been inter- interesting to look at, at how that culture is handling uh, just being shut down. Yeah, some marvelous videos in there, too, where um, people will sing from their balcony, yeah. and they're in close proximity, and everyone will join in. Uh, and that's really kind of a, really a testament, too, of uh, how people do come together in very difficult times. And that, you know, and Thurl, we're a very young country. you got to remember, too, the, the European nations uh, survived through hell, basically, uh, with World War II and yes. World War One, and their their countries were decimated uh, by bombings and raids. And here we are, a very young country, and we're being tested ourselves in a totally different way, totally different way. Absolutely right. So 
Bowler, the other day, uh, Adam Silver did an interview with Rachel Nichols on ESPN, and he talked about kind of his thoughts going forward, uh, you know, because obviously at some point the the league has to kind of be ready to either resume or make a decision anyway. Do you have any thoughts on where you think this might be headed based on what you've heard or what you think? Well, I think everyone is hopeful, but also I think as this continues on, I, I, I and I'm one of them, I thought this would be like a two-week situation and then it would kind of curve downward, but it hasn't happened yet. And, you know, the love of sport drives so many of us uh, and also is an escape from our daily, you know, trials. People love sports thorough to to get together as a group and go in and cheer for their fan, you know, for their teams as fans. And now that's been taken away. A lot of things have movies, yeah. uh, family gatherings, weddings. My goodness, even people who've passed, they've had to wait uh, the morning process, you know, and so it becomes almost more, more trivial in the sense of what's important, right? Uh, it's life and death, but boy, I love to see sports come back and entertain all of us, but only under the, under the right circumstances. Do I want to go back in the booth and you and Harps and David and Booner and KK? Absolutely. I want that for the fans. I, and for me, I mean, I love what I do. Yes. And, uh, but it has to be the right time. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing. We can't get into this too soon and then have to step back again. So, you know, you hope that uh, all the right decisions will be made. I, I, I hope that we get to play in the summer. Uh, this could really change the whole complexity of sports too thorough. Maybe the Olympics aren't even going to be. Some countries are, as we speak, have, have pulled themselves away from the Tokyo Olympics. Yes. So. We're so we take it so you know for granted that these things happen and these athletes perform and we get to cheer and rant and rave and what have you and uh, but it has to be under the right circumstances. I hope we can play. How they how the how the NBA actually is going to formulate a plan uh, to get the athletes back on the floor with a mini camp or a couple of you know yeah I was going to ask you games. If you see a scenario in which they might say, well, let's just scrap the rest of the regular season and go directly into the playoffs? Or do you see a scenario where, you know, we finish or make up some games and then uh, and then try to go in? What, I know that's a tough question because we don't really know, but right. do you see any kind of scenario? Well, I see three, actually, Thurl. One is that they're able to come back, and I don't think we'll ever finish the final 18 games. I think they'll try to find a modified way, especially in the in the West and the East. I think teams that still have to play the likes like the Jazz, the Lakers a couple of times, the Spurs, Denver, Portland, Those there may be like a 10-game schedule that would allow you to continue to <clears throat> position yourself in your playoff seating, and the Jazz right now stand in four. How strange is it that the number five spot belongs to the Oklahoma City <laughs> That's Thunder? That's crazy. Isn't that something? So they're, you know, and the second scenario would be is that they actually would not, they would have like a camp. They're all, is my, my guess, is that they would allow the teams to get the players back into some sort of shape. Now, again, you're thinking of injury that could happen, but that's just part of the, the, the you know, the chance you take. Uh, but then you would just go ahead and start the playoffs. 
uh, as as seated now, which would be a four-five Thunder Jazz series, or the third scenario is that this season is asterisk uh, and it stops as we see it, and there is no champion, and that's okay if that's the, what's best for this country, and then you then when it's everything is the green lights back and things have settled down and and we have a better hold on on what happens then we start another season and thorough you know there's been talk about maybe the maybe the nba instead of starting in october they start playing in december and run their season through mid to late summer i've read that as pot potential ways of maybe uh reintroducing the game and maybe even getting better ratings because in the summer, yeah, we'd be up against baseball. But, you know, when we start in the late month of October, you're still up against college and NFL football. And sometimes, you know, the people don't even take notice of the league until you know, that Christmas Day games that That's they right. play. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see if this, if this doesn't turn a lot of heads in the league and around just all the professional sports on how they – you know, move on from this point. It's going to be, again, probably groundbreaking uh, because of what uh, what is occurring as we speak. Well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we talked about that tipping point, and you're right, it doesn't just affect us. It, it affects all pro sports, but even collegiate sports, NCAA yes. and, and not having a, a national champion. I mean, I could not even fathom no. That happening on on my run, right? I mean, it's just well. Look at you in '83, Cinderella. I'm talking <laughs> to him right now, folks. You know, North Carolina State, and your moment in history is one of great college basketball moments. I don't know if there's a better one of Jimmy Valvano running around looking for somebody to hug. And of the 12 tournaments that I called, I, I just know thorough that every coach, every player that I spoke to, the beauty of that moment was what you achieved, and that was. We can be Cinderella, and that's that's what drove March Madness and drove it into April. By the way, yeah, with with this with the Final Four, but you know maybe it also gives us a lesson that we're going to appreciate all this even more. I thought about that sitting in my office. I kind of just still go in here to just kind of think, and you know, because I like it. This is my my cave, and you know, you've got and time, got time, and I'm thinking. I wonder if fans will actually. And I think I will, but how many of us will actually say, you know what, I, I, I need to appreciate this more. Yeah. And maybe we will. Maybe we won't. But um, it'll be interesting to see when it all does come back, and I know it will, uh, that what approach we take and how even the, the owners and, and, and the commissioners of all these leagues and conferences, how they approach things from here on out, Thurl. It's going to be an interesting Moment in humanity. I know that's a heavy statement, but it is. It's I true. think we're living through history uh, that all of us will look back and tell our grandkids, my goodness, it's like the Great Depression, but in a different way. My yeah. mom and dad are 87. They lived through the post-Depression. They were young children. They tell me stories even today about coupon books, and you had to have so many to even buy a new tire for your car, flour, and uh you know, uh, rubber, clothing, all those things, gasoline, yeah. uh, they all sacrificed. And I think that's, in, a, in another way, that's what we're doing again today. But in a, the war is not bullets and bombs. It's a virus. Yeah. And that is maybe even maybe more scary, Thurl, I because you can't see the enemy, right? That's right. You're exactly right. And I think about 
couple of things you just mentioned that have happened in our lifetime, uh, you know, 9-11 being another one of those. Yes, you know, yes. I really never thought that, you know, in, in my lifetime at least, that, that we would kind of go through, uh, you know, kind of the results of, of, of something similar, not comparing them. I mean, obviously a lot of people gave their lives um, on that significant date and Absolutely. time. Absolutely. But, but, but the similar thing, I think, that you were speaking to was kind of the aftermath. After we got by a certain point, people were starting to come together. They were starting to educate themselves and understand the significance of it. And we were better for it in the long run. And so uh, I, I do see that happening with this uh, once we get past that period. But, Bull, I can't let you get away from here. Uh, on a lighter note, I can't let you leave without talking about how a young boy born in Willow Springs, Missouri, <laughs> <laughs> gets to live his dream. Uh, Take me well, back. Take me back. Well, it gives me, uh, when you ask me those things, they're all honestly, uh, and the way we've been talking, it, it, it humbles me. Um, gives me chills. Um, you know, I, a lot of that goes to my grandparents and obviously my folks uh, who gave me an opportunity. Uh, grandfathers were uh, railroad and cattle a farmer. Uh, my other granddad ran uh, part of the Missouri uh, Highway Department and kept the roads uh, clear from snow and ice and also built roads uh, from um, to the market. They called them uh, market roads from the farms to the markets uh, back in the day. Great men, uh, had two great grandmas, and uh, that was a big part of my life. Um, 2,004 people in small Willow Springs, Missouri moved. My dad um, uh, was in the Army during Korea, a drill sergeant. Guy that got, gave me a really a, a good lesson on how to stay focused and do your work the right way. Uh, my mom was loving, still is, um, and both I'm fortunate that they're both here in Salt Lake. They moved from Kansas City about 15, 16 years ago to kind of share in the lives of my three sons, and that's been a blessing as well, Thurl. So, you know, what it comes down to is your passion, and I, I love football, I love basketball, I love baseball, I ran track, all the above, but football was my love, and you know what? I'm, I'm one of thousands of young men who were injured, popped a couple of knees, got a chance to get recruited, uh, went through that process, which was fascinating with Lou Holtz at Arkansas and Kansas State and a lot of junior colleges and a few other small ones. And I went to Kansas State just because of a girl. And <laughs> lo and behold, uh, isn't that always a story? Uh, and it's always the case, right? <laughs> and then, of course, when I got there, a new coach was put in place, um, and my recruiting class was kind of. Uh, put on the back burner and then I got hurt again and you know and, and almost quit school to go back home and then my brother was a senior and simply said look you can't do that and I was a biology major I've always been fascinated with you know why is it why the sky is blue and the earth yeah. and the grass is green and um, <laughs> never knew that I about finally, you yeah, yeah I, I, love I catch you looking up at the sky a lot but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is that is that rain yeah, I think it is <laughs> But, you know, to make a long story short, uh, I just decided to take a couple of uh, classes in broadcast journalism, and it was, you know, again, someone hit me over the head with a ball bat, like, this is what I want to do. And I just took it and ran thorough. I tell you, once I found my passion, um, 
as my dad said, plow your own field, man. Keep plowing, and that's what I've done is plow. And I've, you know, I've I've had to take over for Paul James, and I'm not Paul James. And God rest his soul, he was a great guy, and he he, he plowed his own you know field in his way uh, in the early days of television. And then people say, what was that like? Well, you know, it wasn't easy. Uh, and then I, you never replace Hot Rod Hundley, Thurl, but you know, someone has to step in. And so I have, and I, I try to, you know, plow my own field as I keep you know, quoting my dad. But, I mean, those are the lessons learned. And, you know, now 15 years into it, it's uh, it's an amazing thing. Um, you know, I, I, I had an opportunity to call BYU football and basketball uh, after Jim Nance went to CBS. And then ESPN gave me a chance to call Big Monday. And then CBS got a hold of me and said, come do college and NFL football and basketball, and I was there for 13 years, but always had my foot, you know, back in Salt Lake doing, you know, radio, and then the Jazz asked me, hey, Hot Rod's going to retire here soon. Would you be interested? Absolutely. I've covered this team since 85, Malone's rookie year. Wow. It's kind of a part of me. So it felt natural to make the transition, and I thank the Jazz for that opportunity, but also I thank the fans for staying with me, and we've been on a heck of a run, and, and I think with the likes of a Donovan Mitchell, a Quinn Snyder, a, a Bogdanovich, a Rudy, a uh, Joe. Uh, this is a fun time in jazz history, and hopefully we can repeat what was in 97 and 98 and take it to the next step and actually win a title. And you know what, T? I hope we take that, that parade one day down Main Street all the way to St. George and back. I That'd like it, That'd be a fun time. That'd be a fun time. And share it with you. And, you know, I think everyone's got a great story to tell. And uh, I've just been fortunate that uh, the people in Utah and beyond have been accepting for the most part. Look, you can't please everybody. I understand that. It hurts sometimes as we read stuff, you know, on, on Twitter and what have you. But, hey, I just try to be prepared and do the best job I can. And I hope people uh, respect that work. And that's what my life has really kind of been tuned to, is to do it the right way. And that's what I try to do every night. Well, Bolo, I'm sure glad you found your voice because you've got one of the best in the business. And I'm just uh, I'm honored to be able to sit next to you and buckle up, baby. <laughs> hey, we need to buckle up. And I think fans, if they do, we'll ride this one out together. Well, Bolo, thank you so much for, for joining me. Uh, I miss being next to you. I'm sure that'll come pretty soon as, as we hopefully can get back in the swing of the season. But take care of yourself and your family. And, uh, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Absolutely, T. Thanks for the time, and uh, thanks to Jazz Nation. And uh, stay safe, be smart, and let's all do the right thing. And we'll be back at this soon. I, 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 I feel it. I feel it, T. Thanks, Bowler. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today on Thorough Talk. And we'll talk to you next week.